the Empire podcast this week, we live our lives a quarter of a pod at a time by talking to Natalie Emmanuel, star of Fast 9. Is that what it's called this week? What's it called this week? It's probably got a new name this week, like the Fast Ninth Saga or something like that. Plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast, it will be okay if we just obey the laws of physics. Hmm. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire podcast. This week, as ever, I'm joined by three colleagues, count them three colleagues of such lethal cunning. We are, of course, joined by our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. Hello, Helen O'Hara. What are you playing with, Ro? What are you doing? You're fiddling um, with something. I suddenly remembered that, you know, we might have a three-fact should... structure and I'm trying to find one. I suddenly remember my Charlemagne. Let my armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds in the sky. Cool. Unfortunately, you've We're... lost your opportunity to do that to Sean Connery, much like you did the... Uh... What do you mean I've lost my opportunity to do the Sean Connery? <laughs> No, to Sean Connery. I mean, you could, theoretically, but you wouldn't get much response. What? Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> I'm, of course, referring to the single greatest moment in the history of this podcast, which was a couple of weeks ago, when you got to edge directly to Sir Anthony Hopkins. Which, you uh, don't. may be my favourite thing ever. The only way uh, you'd be able to say it to him is if you held some kind of uh, seance. <laughs> <laughs> too soon for that? Or is that okay? Never well, too soon. Well, he's spelling out, I suddenly remember my Charlemagne with a glass. It's like, for fuck's sake, Sean, it's taking ages. Come on, man. Come on. Oh, God. <laughs> we are going to hell. Uh, we accepted we this a long time ago. Anyway, Sean, nothing but respect for you. We're also joined by a great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. Hello, Christopher. Last but not least, we are joined by the newly crowned nicest man in show business, especially now that Ryan Reynolds claimed responsibility for that huge bomb. Although, in fairness, Green Lantern wasn't entirely his fault. It is, of course, Ben Travis. Hello. Hello, Ben Travis. Hello. I can't believe it's finally (laughs) Fast Nine week. I can't believe we made it. All those years ago. We made it. Look how far we've come up again. again. <laughs> What's that, mate? Feel like I do. Feel like I do. I, 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 just, I don't know what's happening. I'm very confused. I'm just rolling with it. That's, that is the true feeling of Fast 9. I don't know what's happening. I'm just rolling with it. So, Ben, it is Fast 9 week. We're finally here. Cypher tried to stop the movie from being released. Quite successfully for a while. Yes, mm. but she can't stop Dom Toretto forever. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about it later on. But are you are you excited? Are you are you giddy like a schoolboy? Oh, I was so giddy in the screening. We'll talk about this when we get to the reviews. But it was it was a, a glorious, glorious time. I mean, I remember being in. Was it maybe the onward spoiler special when we discovered on air that Fast Nine had been delayed by an entire year, and it mm. cut like an absolute knife. I mean, barely anything had been delayed by that point. I think it was maybe the second film after mm. Bond, and Bond had been pushed back maybe I don't know six months or something. That felt like oh god, that's really extreme at the time so then yeah to hear that fast had gone back a whole year felt ludicrous 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 mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the air was let out of a balloon during that spoiler special after that we really struggled to find anything nice to say about onward well even before that actually the, look no there are lots of nice I'm things sorry. to say about onward there are lots of nice things to say about onward and uh, but it's still not great pixar ben who went full travis on that and gave it five stars i kind of feel um, asking ben if he's giddy like a schoolboy about anything <laughs> is basically redundant <laughs> the amount of uh, messages and nods from people that i get saying oh by the way i finally saw onward and yeah it actually is really really good makes me feel sure. very vindicated sure 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 ben's mum <laughs> ben's dad his cousins his uncle I don't think they liked Onward that much. Really? <laughs> do, do you know what? My okay. mum and dad um, did watch Wonder Woman 84 the other day and they said they preferred the first Wonder Woman. So I'm still basically alone in that. Because they're not insane. 
Anyway, this is going to be a tight 90s, so uh, we're going well so far. Yes, we probably shouldn't re-audit all of Ben's review missteps. (laughs) No, that would be a very quick process because I have done pretty good, solid reviews over the last three and a half years. Anyway, people who live in glass mansions, Jimbo, should never throw stones. Titanic among the stars. Hey, passengers, it's Titanic amongst the stars and I stand by it. You and I both have wings of that mansion. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That is very true. So maybe keep stooming that one for the time being. Anyway, it is time now to barrel straight into the beloved three-fact structure because there's four of us this week. Uh, ben, I'm going to get you to go first. And if it isn't a Fast and Furious-related fact, then I will be sorely disappointed in you. And judging from the look you've just given me on Squadcast, it is not a Fast <laughs> and Furious It's not a Fast and Furious fact. I feel like we all know the insanity around Fast and Furious. Oh, I feel like I've let everyone down already. That's all right. I've got one. Oh, wait a second, wait a second here. Okay, Helen, is your fact Fast and Furious-related? It is, yeah. Right, you can go first. Ben, okay. I've bought you five minutes. I mean, it's not good. I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll you'll all know it, but like, nevertheless, we're, we're going to go there. Um, so I wanted to talk about the first film and the casting thereof, um, because I read, and, and this is bananas to me, I, I genuinely can't fathom this. Apparently, the original idea was Mario Lopez as Dominic. What? And Mark Paul Grosselaar as Brian. A Saved by the Bell reunion. <laughs> I mean, just what? think what we could have had. That's true. Yeah, apparently. Uh, Rob Cohen, that was his idea, but the studio thought that the, you know, the past that they'd had on Saved by the Bell might confuse audiences and who might be expecting them to basically, you know, replay those characters. How far down the line did they get I, with I think, this? I think not far, but apparently that was one of Rob Cohen's ideas. Um, so uh, also considered for Brian was Eminem, Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale. Which Eminem, the red one or the yellow one? Both. Okay. And, and also the rapper, yeah. Um, and you don't then, get M&M's, you don't get rappers around Eminem's hill and they come encased in... A bag, which is a rapper, Chris. That's not a rapper, that's a bag. Oh, you mean, you mean the rap artist? I mean artist? the rapper, yes, yes, Slim okay. Shady, if you will. Yes. Yeah, Marshall Mathers. Anywho, um, apparently Paul Walker wanted the role because he had recently seen Donnie Brasco and therefore, you know, thought the idea of playing an undercover agent would be cool because he wanted to channel that Donnie Brasco energy with Aww. Brian. So there you go. That's my That's little lovely. Fast and Furious fact. I like to think that they, they didn't go down the line with Mario Lopez because they couldn't find a Wario Lopez. Because <laughs> it makes sense. You're gonna get you're gonna get a Mario and put him in a car chasing other cars. You want to have a Wario. You want to have a Bowser. You want to have a magical toadstool. Yes, this is a that's this is a you, Mario Kart do. joke. I know it's this. a Mario Kart joke, Helen. Cool. Yes, that's what we're doing here. That is what we're doing here. Uh, that's an interesting fact. Um, yeah. I don't think we'd be talking about Fast Nine had they cast Mario Lopez and John Paul. We'll never Gossalar? know. Gosselar, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. We'll never know, man, it could, what, what it could have been. It could have been even bigger, even bigger. They might have been on Mars by now. Jimbo, do you have a Fast and Furious related fact? It wasn't the brief, but... I'm not, I may or may not. Okay, you're going to have to bear with me now. So I went into IMDb when Helen started her fact, so I heard none of it. And, and the first if, thing that jumped I out swear me, to God, if you say, did you know that Mario Lopez and John yeah. Paul Gosselar were considered for the casting? Well, it's funny you should say that. No, that what I'm going to come up with is the first fact that sort of tickled my fancy, if you will, on the trivia page was the first street race. As you were, so the Fast and the Furious, the greatest yes. of the entire Fast and Furious franchise. What? As what? we have all agreed. 
I am stopping no. looking through IMDb trivia to come and tell you that that is so wrong. Absolutely I can't believe it. Absolutely not. And that couldn't be Having wrong. watched that film once 20 years ago, I stand by this fact and will not climb down from it. That film is Point Break with Cars and less good actors. You've just described so. the greatest film ever made. So that is the greatest that is. of the Fast and Furious franchise famously feature street racing and they race as Vin Diesel says a quarter mile at a time it's a quarter mile race now a quarter mile race will take approximately 10 seconds <laughs> the scene in the film takes two whole minutes this despite the fact that the cars actually pass 150 miles an hour at one point so it does beg the question what exactly is going on in this particular race? So I did some. I tried to do some basic maths in my head, and that Metric never system. goes well. But according to my brain and my GCSE maths, which yeah. and I can't emphasize this enough, I very nearly I'm not failed. Good. <laughs> what did you get? I couldn't get higher than a C because I was in set five maths. So <laughs> higher than a C, higher than a C. Oh, it's a good game, good game. I don't know what that means. Anyway, I got a C, but I might have got hundred percent and still got a C because I took the slightly remedial GCSE maths. What did you get, Helen? What did you get? Come on. Oh. Jesus. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. That may be the greatest moment in Empire Podcast history. My C grade. Never mind Lee Hopkins <laughs> off. Anyway. For them to take two minutes to do a quarter of a mile, they would have to have been doing a consistent 20 miles an hour for the duration. <laughs> so I'm saying that if that is in fact the case, this was a lot less exciting than portrayed. And and they were actually going at like 150 miles an hour or something, right? Because Yeah, so I can only assume that what actually happened was they went so fast that they went back in time and that is why it took them so long to do because they actually ran up. exactly yeah. that, exactly mm. that. So that must it like, be it. There's yeah. no other yeah. explanation. No, I just think they measure distance differently in the Fast and Furious universe. A quarter of a mile for them is 10 miles for us. So the runway in Fast 6 is only a, it's a brisk 500 mm. yards for everyone else. But for those guys, it's like a never ending conveyor belt. Is it 18 miles? The runway was extraordinary. Like that yeah. must have been. Uh, and, yeah. and, well, I love the fact that we also, uh, I, will, I will spare the person's name, but we sent someone to a screening of that film with a stopwatch to time exactly how long that sequence lost so we could work out the length of the runway for a thing we were doing in the magazine. And she was escorted from the screening because she was timing it on her phone and that was frowned upon. So mm. there you go. She was escorted from the screening? Yeah, she was, yeah. We then had to send a workie to see it like at a public screening uh, with an actual stopwatch. And based on those calculations, we got an avionics or an aviation expert right. to calculate the length of the runway, which which did come out, I think, as the, the shortest estimate was about 18 miles. Wow. James, did you actually say a yeah. fact or did you just start speaking about the film and then never stop? No, he, he, he said that the, the basically the laws of physics were broken even in the first film. Okay. So your fact is that... Yes. In the first and greatest film. Yes. I mean, that's not even a fact. All right. Ben, okay. bring this bad boy home. Rev, hit me with some, nit is it nitrous oxide that they use? NOS. Nox. A NOS boost. Yes. Uh, to, to bring us home. Uh, and by the way, James, yeah. I did enjoy, because obviously you're t talking about how those chase sequences are like two minutes long, and yet they still refer to, oh, you owe me a 10 second car, which now that makes sense. <laughs> I, was, I was like... Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole point. It's called a 10-second car because it can do a quarter of a mile in 10 seconds, and yet the race lasts two minutes. What the fuck is going oh, is on? That what it, why? I thought it was like 10 seconds to get up to, you know, 80 miles yeah. an hour or something. I thought it was a 10... I tense... guess that would be slow, wouldn't it? Yeah, never mind. Carry yeah, that on. That would be really slow. Yeah, yeah, It's like <laughs> yeah. six seconds, like 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 isn't it? That's like a, what, like a Robin okay. Reliant. Carry something. on. I thought, I thought it was maybe like a 10-second head start, which is a rubbish head start. <laughs> yeah. No, I like that idea. I want a 10-second car, and Brian comes out with a Ford Fiesta. There you go. All done. Sorted. 
Well, I have a uh, a smattering of smaller facts. I've not managed to find it in the last sort of three Whoa, minutes. One big great fact. That's not the rule of three fact structure. It's a one Look, fact per person. In in you fast have to be rule, this high to go on the ride, and you have to have one fact per person. So fucking man up and none choose of us are one. high enough for this ride. Go none on, of, choose one. In 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 fast week, we play by our own rules. Uh, if we obey, <laughs> the only laws we obey are the laws of physics, not the laws. The laws of family, family, laws of family, not that's physics. That's right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so here's one of them. <laughs> Apparently, Michelle Rodriguez didn't know that they were going to bring Letty back from the dead in photo form in Fast Five until she <laughs> until saw the she film was... in the cinema and was like, oh, they're bringing me back. Which it feels like that can't be true, right? They that wouldn't... can't be true. That gives her a bit of a leg up in negotiations, doesn't it? <laughs> you would think. I hope she got well paid. Uh, I thought oh, that fact was going to be she didn't know she was coming back until she was halfway through filming Fast Six. <laughs> <laughs> she was just driving around like, why are all these cameras following me? <laughs> Here's a short but sweet one. Vin Diesel and Elsa Pataki have the same birthday, July the 18th. So let's all remember that. <laughs> oh, isn't that that's, nice? That's, that's a that's sweet a fact. strong fact, Ben. A strong fact. Ben lives his life a quarter of a scraped bucket at a time. <laughs> well, here's another quarter for you. In Fast 7, we got Kurt Russell entering the Fast universe as Mr. Nobody. I long presumed that they invented that character purely to get Kurt Russell into the Fast universe. But apparently... There were some other people in line for it before Kurt Russell came into the frame. One of which would have been interesting and pretty good, Halle Berry. She mm -hmm. was great in John Wick. It would be fun to see her doing some action stuff. If they bring in Halle Berry at some point in the Fast franchise, I would not be mad about it. The other name that apparently came up was Taylor Lautner. That seems weird. What? As, as like a super spy head. Was Mario pod. Lopez not available? <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't seem right. I, what? It says here that Denzel Washington turned down a role in a fast film which could potentially have been Mr. Nobody. I mean, Denzel, okay. oh God, get Denzel okay, but in like, this, come on. If Taylor Lautner was up for the Scott Eastwood role, I'd be like, fair enough. But Taylor Lautner up for the Kurt Russell role? Nah. Anyway. Is that, is that your fact? That's a small smattering of fast facts. I was going to talk about Mr. Jingles, the, the mouse from The Green Mile, because I recently watched The Green Mile for, I don't know, reasons. Um, and I was really impressed by the mouse acting in it. So a supplementary fourth fact is that they used 15 mice to get all of the mouse stuff in The Green Mile. Anyway, they used 15 mice for Mr. Jingles. Some of them were trained... 15 mice? <laughs> Some of them were trained to like just run across the prison some of them mm -hmm. were trained with the little spindle wheels so that you could like push that around and one of them pooped on tom hanks when he has the little mouse on his <gasps> shoulder and he takes it off and he sort of rubs that his is... shoulder is because the mouse pooed on him that one right. never that one never ever worked again i'll tell you that right now <laughs> yeah. he is a vengeful guy he is not he's lovely <laughs> no no he went to work for tom hanks because tom hanks is that kind of guy and now he runs tom hanks's production company fantastic well done playtone well done data that was a good fact ben and here is the irony of this week's three-fact structure. In a normal week, that might have won. But unfortunately, this was a Fast and Furious special, and you, my friend... That you didn't tell us about it. ...were found wanting. You could have told us the three-fact structure is going to be called Fact and Furious, and I would have been in. I would have been there. <laughs> now I'm just furious. Oh, what? You didn't just intuit it like I did? Yeah. yeah, I mean, James and Helen got the memo, Ben. Did you not get the memo about this change, the three-fact structure that I made 
five minutes into the feedback structure. <laughs> <laughs> I live my life a quarter question at a time, let me tell you, and I, I feel justified by that. Yes. Um, okay. Can I ask a supplementary Fast and Furious? Like, a part of my fact was obviously that the first uh, film was the best of the lot, which of course it is. But we did a ranking for Fast and Furious on the website, Ben. Can you just tell me what the top three were off the top of your head? Well, uh, number three, I think, was Fast 6. Number two was Fast 7. And number one was Fast 5. Which seems correct to me. That seems. Yeah. That seems. Oh, although actually, I prefer t- seven to five, but I I know the general consensus is five. I'm, I'm sorry, you what? No, seven yeah. is pretty great. Yeah, seven, seven is, is amazing. Is pretty great. Yeah, seven. Right, seven has uh, so many of the very best Fast and Furious bits. Right, you have the uh, wrench fight on top of the car park. You have Daddy's got to go to work, good. flexing out of the cast. Yeah. You've got. You have the failure to understand the rules of chicken. There's literally one rule, and they don't get it <laughs> twice. <laughs> amazing. Driving between. The skyscrapers mm-hmm. breaking priceless pieces of artwork, the Terracotta yeah. army on the way, and that is Fast and Furious in an absolute nutshell. And Paul Walker at that time is shouting, Cars don't fly, even though yes. he's already been <laughs> in a flying car in the same film. I, and, so and that the end is that the Hobshaw fight at the beginning is incredible. It is incredible. Yeah. And it's really mm. beautiful at the end. It actually makes you cry a bit, like properly. So yeah. Yeah. Fast seven. All right. It seems like a discussion we can get into slightly deeper at another time. In, say, a ranking podcast. Perhaps. For the time being, I'm going to wrap this up by awarding a winner this week. Jimbo, I don't even know if that was a fact. That was just a collection of words. Ben, you disappointed me. I'm so sorry. Which means that Helen is this week's winner. Woohoo! Well done. Hooray! Well done, Helen. You have won the three fact structure. Or fact and furious. Hey. Have a bottle of Corona on us. <laughs> I don't drink. Wasted on Helen. And indeed yeah. me. Mm. And you, Jimbo. Ben, bottle of Corona. I had a bottle of Corona at the Fast 9 screening. You did, yeah. All right, time now to tackle this week's listener question, which comes from... At Damien underscore A underscore P. And he asks, with Keaton back as Batman, Michael, not Diane, Ford back as Indy, Harrison, not Ford Maddox, and a new Ghostbusters sequel coming this year, what other film from 1989 is due a follow-up? He also says Empire's first issue, but technically speaking, I'm pretty sure because I started reading Empire with issue two and that had Batman on the cover. Issue one, of course, was Great Balls of Fire. That's not due a follow-up, I'm saying. No, I think we can live without that one. Um, I know Chris's answer is probably going to be The Burbs, so we'll get to that in a minute. I mean... Roadhouse has got to be in there. We we don't see enough throat <gasps> grips these days, do we? we barely any. There's barely all, virtually any. none in Fast Nine, and that is why it fails. Wow, um, it's, it's astonishing, really, how many of the films of 1989 have already been sequelized or have, uh, say, TV spin-offs coming up. So, Bill and Ted: Excellent Adventure has obviously mm-hmm. had its sequel recently. Uh, Turner and Hooch, I saw, has a new TV show coming on yes, Disney Plus. Yeah, next month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, pretty soon. Parenthood has already had its TV show. You know, there's quite a lot of big ones. And I I am not actually in favour of going back to, for example, When Harry Met Sally, because it is perfect and untouchable and should stay that way. So, hey, I'm going to say we should follow up Henry V by having Branagh come back and do Henry VI Part 1, 2 and 3. So So what? that would be the Henry and then to Henry to Tudor and then Henry Tokyo Drift? Is that what that is? Henry Tokyo Drift. <laughs> Probably like York Drift or something, don't I guess. Don't pretend you don't want to see yeah. Henry Tokyo Drift. That is the only Shakespearean film I want to see. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> let's go with that. Interesting. But yeah, the Henry ad hasn't, you know, we, we could do that. We could do the whole Henry ad. It's what they're called, the Henry ad. It is actually, I believe, okay. yeah. Yeah. 
So, we, you know, are we working off the existing texts or do we get someone to punch up Shakespeare? With a punch-up. It needs more punch-ups. I mean, the, well, yeah, because Henry V had big punch-ups and Henry VI has a few fewer. But, um, mm. I mean, look, it's not the worst. Henry VIII is bad. Henry VI parts one, two, and three, I was expecting to be super bored by, but they're actually quite fun. If I'm honest, I'm not chomping it a bit to see three <laughs> movies about Henry VI, but I am chomping it a bit to see Roadhouse, more Roadhouse. Mm. Now, obviously, sadly, Patrick Swayze is no longer with us, so he couldn't do it, but there's no, but reason, Sam there's no reason to say... Well, yes, he's very old these days, and he's dead, of course, in the chronology of the oh, movie. Damn. Yeah, so yeah, that's that's your problem. But there's no reason to say that Dalton didn't sire an heir mm. from his loins. Hard to sire them from anywhere else. Well, yeah, it's Dalton. I mean, a man could do anything. So I think you know you could get some young buck, some young lithe, sweaty buck to go full swizzle. And uh, so, who would you cast as son or daughter? Of Dalton in Roadhouse 2. Chanham. Chanham? I don't know about that. Isn't he that. a bit old? You, wouldn't How you need someone who could be realistically... Born you in know, 1990 at the latest. Yeah, Patrick Swayze and Kelly Lynch's son or daughter. So we're talking 31-ish. Yeah, 31 How old is Chanham? Chanham. <laughs> Chanham is, I would have said, late 30s. I'd say early 40s with Chanham. Is he? I would say, I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Look, the, the elephant is in the room. I'm here. I'm available. I can do it. Let's <laughs> not all rush at once. Oh, but I'm, you're a I'm giver. That's fair. That is fair. That's fair. What about Glenn Powell? See, the guy who's going to be in Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. He can do kind of that laid back kind of energy. If you think about it, everybody wants some and stuff like that. He's a, he can be quite mm. kind of funny and cool. I think he could maybe do it. All right. Glenn Powell is son of Dalton. And that's his name. Son of. Son, son of, of Dalton. Dalton. Yeah. Roadhouse 2, son of Dalton. Yes. You don't think people would expect Timothy to show up? Oh my God, now you've blown this thing wide open. Because maybe in a way that is the 1989 film I would like to see sequelized more than any, which is of course the greatest of all James Bond movies, License to Kill, which was Timothy Dalton's last movie as James Bond. Now I believe there have been some sequels to James Bond movies since but not with Timbo, not with the greatest James Bond of them all. And uh, if it were a way that we could, you know, get him back into the role, either as a an older problem eliminator, going around eliminating problems, or, you know, we could do some funky shit with mocap these days, can't we? You know, they're doing that with Harrison Ford in another 1989 movie that is getting his first sequel, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Finally, they're following it up. <laughs> Maybe not right now, because apparently Harrison Ford's knacked his shoulder again. But when he gets better, they will be making the fourth Indiana Jones movie. And I am absolutely there for that. But if they could do that and de-age Timbo in some way, then I would be bang up for the third James Bond movie with Timothy Dalton in it. Because, you know, there were plans. There were plans, but they obviously never came to fruition. Or lean into it like Michael Keaton-wise and just go full Bond-verse. There you go. Keep him same age as he is now. Honey, I shrunk the kids. I was going to say this one. There are signs that Rick Moranis might, you know, be kind of willing to work again. And mm -hmm. he could be the granddad now. And let's say Daniel Radcliffe is his son and uh, stuff happens. I don't know. Are you discounting, honey, I blew up the baby? Yeah, it wasn't bad, actually. We can still have that in the continuity. Yes, and uh, you sound also like someone who's not aware of the Disney Plus series that's in the works with Josh Gad and Rick Moranis. I no, I, that does ring a bell. Actually, now you come to mention it, I'd forgotten. Yeah, I was not aware of this. That's exciting. I grew up I, on I mean, Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, 
Right. Although, to be fair, the main thing I do remember uh, from the first one is when they come up against the ant in the grass and now yeah. in, in an Ant-Man world. I mean, I mean, Ant-Man has proved that you can do the shrinking effect really, really well now, that you could probably do that. Although there's, there's fun to be had, isn't there, in the original with all the practical effects and that slightly janky ant and all the big blades of grass and things. That oh, that's a fun film. Because that's the thing. Part of you goes, oh, I'm so surprised they actually haven't done that yet. But it was Moranis's thing and it's not right without him. But yeah, if he's back in action, honey, I shrunk the grandkids, do it. And steal magnolias. Think about it. They're mostly still kicking around. Mostly still looking fabulous, at least in the case of, you know, like Dolly Parton. There's a granddaughter there who can be, you know, the right age now to do stuff. Uh, honey, yeah, absolutely. Steel Magnolias would be fantastic. There we go. Steel Magnolias. Jimbo, do you have any any uh, suggestions? Hmm. What would I follow up from 1989? I don't know. Deader Poet Society? Born on the 5th of July? I mean, there are so many options. Um, I don't know. Do you have a warlock with Julian Sands? Surely that's you revisiting. I don't know. <laughs> no? No love for the warlock? All right, what about Cyborg? Do you remember Van Damme's Cyborg? No. I no, okay. If you what typed was... in the shittest movies released in 1989, <laughs> these are not shit. They are unsung classics, Christopher. Unsung because they're as, not classics. I would as say. is Red Scorpion. Oh, I don't know. What about Leviathan? Why not follow up Shocker? Actually, do follow up Shocker. Shocker do follow was a up Shocker. Mitch Pileggi is a legend. Oh my god! Get Peter Berg <laughs> back to direct it this time. You are <laughs> laughing. Horace Pinker. He uses electricity to travel between people and he takes over TV. It's amazing. Oh, so good. I mean, it's, it's terrible, amazing. but also Hang so on, good. hang on. Tango and Cash was 1989. Yes, it was. Tango, Cash, Cash, Tango. I mean, if we're bringing back a cop film from 1989, it should be Blue Steel. Jamie Lee Curtis what? could still kick your ass. But that was a bad film, whereas Tango was and it? Cash was a good film. No. Yeah. Also, I thought the follow-up La Tigra was better. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's a softer, it's more of a catalogue look, yeah. Why don't we combine your two, Helen, and we'll have Blue Steel Magnolias. How about that? Oh, why are my two getting combined? Why do we have Tango and Cash Roadhouse? Because that doesn't make any sense. Those <laughs> well, puns don't does work. Well, neither Blue Steel Magnolias. They both have the word steel in the title. Do I have to nah. walk you through everything, honestly? <laughs> <laughs> James, there's no part of you crying out for <laughs> The Abyss 2? Or I guess we're going to get underwater aliens. I don't spe- think anyone uh, involved Cameron. in The Abyss at any point has ever cried out for The Abyss 2. <laughs> I it love great, 1989. Uh, I love The Abyss. Yeah. What a year 1989 was. Mm. I mean, I, we, we have done an episode of The Ranking dedicated to the movies in 1989, but my God. And maybe there's a special nostalgia thing. Ben, I don't know whether this, this works for you or not. You were probably born in 1989. Were you born in 1989, <laughs> Ben? You were born in 1990, weren't you, Ben? 91, 91. Fuck wow. you, Get honestly. Uh, Literally went alive during the 1980s. But yes, but because, you know, 1989 was when I really first started getting into movies and bought Empire for the first time. I don't know whether it's just that that holds a special place in my heart or whether it's simply that it has an absolutely astonishing lineup of kick-ass movies. Batman, Tim Burton's Batman, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, Lethal Weapon 2, the best of the Lethal Weapon movies, Rain Man, the best of the man movies, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, look who's talking, oh, it gets worse as we're going down the list, admittedly, but you know, Ghostbusters 2. Do the right thing. I will do the right thing. I mentioned do the right thing. I'd love to see Spike Lee go back uh, 30 odd years later on and uh, see what happens. But do you not think when Harry met Sally, a follow up, when Harry defaulted Sally, whenever they, you know. A prequel, surely, before Harry met Sally. No. How about, how about. No. When Harry met Sally, nope. two, right? Nope. But it's like John Wick. So Harry has died in nope. the interim and Sally <laughs> has, 
you know, she's dedicated to his memory. Uh, and then someone kills her cat that she also called Harry. No. And uh, now she has to go on the rampage and 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 hunt down the people responsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great, and, great idea. Nope. Nope. Absolutely not. Nope. Okay. Nope. 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 I won't have what she's having. Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams, yeah. I mean, what does it mean if there's a, you know, cornfield somewhere that where the dead come back to life and play baseball? Oh my I don't God. know. Maybe there'd be something there. Combine that with another movie that came out that year, Pet Cemetery, and you are <gasps> onto something. Oh, no, See, I think we could take oh, a lot no. of these movies and combine them. Blue Steel Magnolias, where Jamie Lee Curtis's cop joins Julia Roberts. It was Julia Roberts, right? Julia Roberts is dead. No, she's not. I saw her in a movie not too long ago. Okay, but her character in Steel Magnolias dies. That's why Sally Field gets all upset. Yeah. All right. So, so who's who's in Steel Magnolias? Um, Well, Olympia Dukakis obviously sadly also gone, but we've got Sally Field still on the board. We've got uh, Dolly Parton. We've got Daryl Hannah. Dreams. Daryl Hannah. Sally Field of Dreams. Oh my god. This is all coming together. This is huge. This is absolutely huge. Uh, Naked Gun. Weekend of Bernie's was 1989. Eh. Oh, the Dream Team was 1989. Sex Lies and Videotape, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I thought I think that was Uncle technically Buck. 1988. Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck. Stallone in Lockup was 1989. <laughs> oh my God, the Fabulous Baker Boys. Oh, oh my God, so oh, good. Yes, Fabulous Baker Boys. Yes, Michelle Pfeiffer. Just generally, I, oh. I don't know. I don't have a story there. I just Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle you know. Pfeiffer. You gotta say it like that. Leave it hanging. <laughs> Red dress, piano, come on. Sold. So many great movies. Make sequels to them all and get us involved as creative consultants. That is <laughs> oh, that God. is my idea. Hollywood, you know how to reach us. Uh any more for any more, or should we move on? It's weird. Do they know how to reach us? Because they never reach out. It's so strange. They ne- no, I know they never do, but I like to think they're just you know, they're keeping their they're powder just, dry. Okay. They're just waiting for the perfect. What they're doing is they're drawing up the contracts. That's probably what it is, yeah. And and just raising the money to hire us. It takes a lot of money to hire mm. us. A lot of zeros. A lot of zeros. And a very specifically placed decimal point. Uh, <laughs> Heather's Miracle Mile. <gasps> oh my god. Yes. Ernest saves Christmas. So many great movies. 1989. What a year. What a year. Anyway, on that note, if you want to get in touch with us on the Empire Podcast and have a question read out, then you can do what Damien Passmore did today and wait for me to panic and just go, hey, we don't have a question. Send us a question. And he sent us a good question. A very good question, Damien. Thank you very much indeed. That was all for you, Damien. It was all for you. <laughs> I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. You can reach out directly to me. You can slide into my DMs. You can just reply to any of my tweets with a question. And if it's good enough, then hopefully I will remember it. Uh, we do have a decent amount of questions for the next few weeks. But don't let that deter you. If you want to send in questions, then send in questions. Okay, time now for this week's guest. Yes, after last week's Guestapalooza, where we had so many guests, we had to break the podcast into two separate parts, each as big as the other. This week, we only have one guest, one guest, but what a guest it is. It is Natalie Emmanuel, the star of Game of Thrones, and of course, since Fast and Furious 7, Ramsey, the genius hacker who has joined the gang in the Fast saga. She is back in Fast 9, or whatever it's called today. And Ben, just a few hours ago, actually, slid onto Zoom and had a good old chatterly with Natalie. How was it, Ben? Oh, it was great. She was lovely. Uh, mainly because I didn't say the phrase chatterly with Natalie, which I think probably would have got it off to a terrible, terrible start. Um, so yeah, went pretty well. She was lovely. Did you scale the heights of, of Chatmandu? 
<laughs> um, uh, well, you can decide for yourself, listeners. <laughs> was it a 15-minute interview? It was a 15-minute interview. That... So you literally lived your life a quarter hour at a time <laughs> while doing the interview. There it is. There it is. All right. So I'm excited to hear this myself. This is Ben talking to Natalie Emmanuel. Do please enjoy. I'm thrilled to be joined on the Empire podcast by Fast Nine's Natalie Emmanuel. How are you doing? I'm really good, thanks. How are you? I'm all good. I'm all good. I am very happy because I've finally seen Fast Nine. It's been such a long wait for this film. Um, I've been looking (laughs) forward to it for a long time. Massive fan of the franchise. And um, I guess it was one of the earliest films to really get that big pushback last year when everything uh, was first unfolding. And I remember thinking, oh God, it's gone back an entire year. That's so long to wait to find out about how this magnet plane works and how Han is back and all of these big questions. Um, Did it feel like a long wait for you too? Yes, definitely. Um, We shot this, uh, when did we shoot this? In 2019, in the summer of 2019, I think. So yeah, it was a a long time to wait and to share this thing that we'd all kind of worked so hard on. And I know, and I'm told all the time on social media how um, much the fans are excited and can't wait. And so, you know, it was hard to sort of, uh, have to wait and for them to wait really but obviously like in the grand scheme of things we were dealing with something kind of bigger than all of us and um that's kind of what just had to happen so yeah and I mean if, if there's any film right to wel- welcome people back to the cinema after this kind of pretty intense year and a half that we've yeah. all had if it's the big fun splashy escapism I can't think of anything better than a Fast and Furious exactly. movie Exactly. Um, And it's like a reunion as well, because there's something about the experience of watching all of these films in a theater that is a part of the magic of them. Like, like I've seen a couple of them in the cinema now and it was completely different to when I'd watched them at home on DVD, you know, just like people laughing and enjoying the action together. Like it really is about the experience in the theater as well as what you're watching on screen and sound and, you know, the best picture and the best quality that you can see it in. It's not just about that, but it's also about that community experience. So it feels like a reunion of, of sorts. And I'm really excited for everyone after this yeah. year. <laughs> I know I, I had that with Fast 7. I saw Fast 7 in the Peckhamplex and it was oh. like a rocky horror screening basically in the way that like everyone, it was like people were shouting out, people were joining in. It was the most joyous thing. Do you have any sort of specific memories of seeing Fast yeah, films on basically, the big screen? Yeah, basically Fast 7. I decided to not watch it before the premiere. Mm-hmm. And because I wanted to see it for the first time with my family in at the premiere, I stayed for the screening and it was amazing. I remember because it was also my first fast movie. So the yeah. whole night was incredibly like emotional and exciting. But to sort of sit there with a theater full of people and just have everyone joining in and laughing and gasping and like excited and you know it was amazing it was so fun and I was like I'm never not watching a fast movie in the cinema <laughs> like outside of the cinema again I'm I have to this, this is so great and I think for a lot of people this might be their first film back in the cinema after everything so yeah. have you been back to the cinema yet have you seen anything on the big screen um, I've seen Fast Nine. <laughs> That's it. Uh, I was um, the Universal were very uh, generous in giving me a little screening <laughs> uh, in uh, a few weeks ago, or a couple of months ago, and that was amazing. And it was shocking actually to be in a cinema and have that 
amount of loud noise and all this like visual stimulation. I think that night I slept really hard because I was like, oh my God, it was so, <laughs> it was such a shock to the system because it'd been so long and um, I, I've become like desensitized or something. Um, but it was fantastic and it really made me feel excited about the return of cinema as a whole, but especially um, the fast movies. I mean, I completely agree about the the volume, the loudness of everything, the the visual stimulation as well. I mean, the action in these films is just increasingly insane. So I, I wanted to ask, when you get the script for one of these films, can you do you get a sense from what's on the page of what actual insanity is going to be on the screen at the end of this all? <laughs> like what 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 do you get in terms of the action sequences when you're um getting a fast script through? Well, you're definitely always, I think with any scripts that I see, like you, you think you know how it's going to look and it's always just so much more and so much more amazing than you can imagine. But I think with fast uh, movie scripts, I will read them and I'm like, of course they're doing this <laughs> insane sequence. Like it's almost like, it's almost fun to open them and be like, what craziness are we going to do this time? And it's exciting. And, um, but yeah, again, like, even though you can see the certain sequences like written out, it will never compare to what you actually see and what they decide to do in, in the, like on camera, it's, it's crazy. And, and what was it like then when you were looking through the Fast 9 script and you get to the page and it says, Ramsey drives a, a, a truck. You get to drive in this one for the first time. How did you feel I, um, finding out that you were going to get to do that? I burst out laughing. I was like, <laughs> this is fantastic and so funny. And the fact that she doesn't drive, I mean, we have that in common, by the way. So it was just really just brilliant. And um, I was so happy that she got to be involved in more action because I'd, I'd already expressed that, like I'd love her to have more action to do. And the fact that they did it in her own little way, in her own little unique style, <laughs> and she, you know, she's representing the non-drivers. I thought that was um, hilarious and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it, and it, you know, showed another side to her, showed her out of her comfort zone. You know, she's so good at what she does. She's so elite she's like one of the best to do what she does and the fact that she kind of stepped up and just was like okay I guess I've got to drive this truck reluctantly but she did it and she got where she needed to go so that is the fast spirit right there um yeah I mean as, as a non-driver yourself then did you have to have bits of driving lessons to kind of be able to do the sequence and how much of that is acting you not really being able to drive and stalling and all of that well, obviously I don't do the actual driving because like I said, I, I'm not, I don't have a license to drive, but also that specific vehicle, you have to have a special license to drive anyway. Right. Um, Cause it's a big industrial truck type thing uh, in terms of not really knowing how to drive. Like I didn't have to have much training on that, to be honest, but I learned how to drive many years ago, but I just never got around to doing my test and getting my license. So to be honest, like me trying to remember where to put my feet and how to do the gears. And when, you know, that was useful because it was like, wait, hang on a minute. I kind of know what I'm, you know, and bringing that into the, the scene actually was really useful for me. So I don't know, like I didn't necessarily have to have any special training. I think just my lived experience um, mm -hmm. really served me in that. Because <laughs> like there's a, 
there's a line in there where you're like, I, I live in London. I don't, people in London don't drive. We get the tube or whatever. And yeah, I was like, because yeah. I, I do drive. I have a license, but I haven't driven in years and years because I'm in London at the moment and I can't afford a car here. I might as well just get the bus or get the tube or whatever. Yeah. I mean, in terms I mean, of, of course people drive here, but you know, why would you like, even if I have to get a cab somewhere, I'm like, oh, this is so long. There's so much traffic. <laughs> Uh, and what was it like for you getting to bring the Fast Saga home? Because this film, it comes back to London. It's in Edinburgh. Obviously, it was in London in Fast 6, but Fast 7 was your first one. Um, mm-hmm. So what was it like for you as the the British member of the Fast family to get to bring it back here? Ah, oh, lovely. It was so fun. I love um, London. I've, um, I'm have i not like native to London. I grew up just outside in, in South End-on-Sea in Essex. But I have lived in London for many years. Like I've my, a lot of my family are from London. So I've grown up in and out of London, but I just love the city. And I, it was actually really nice for once on a personal level to be able to shoot uh, a film, but then kind of go home to my home, like my house every night and be able to see my family and friends on the weekend. Because often when you're filming in another country or another place in England you know it's like suddenly you're very far away from everyone you know and that that has its challenges you know and so it was very nice to be able to share it with them as well like my mom and my sister and my nephew like came to to set and I can't even I think maybe my cousin came as well like I can't remember exactly but we had a really just and one of like friends of mine came and it was just lovely to be able to share that with them for once because I don't always get to because I'm on the other side of the world. So. Did you manage to like sneak them into the background of a shot or something like stand here and you'll be <laughs> there as the car's driving past or whatever? Uh, no, it didn't quite work out that way um, <laughs> because what we, what we were shooting that day, if there was someone in the background, it would be a little strange. Just like, <laughs> who's that random person in the middle of the jungle? So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I wanted to ask, so you were saying it's really, it was nice for you filming over here because you could then go back to your family, but family is the biggest thing in the Fast franchise. Does it feel like a family when you're shooting with all those castmates? Are, are there cookouts yeah. and coronas on the evenings and weekends? Yeah, definitely. There's definitely like, not necessarily um, barbecues and cookouts, like you <laughs> said, but it's it's definitely like dinners and we often gather at Vin's house and have lovely food and family all together and yeah, just spend time together as much as we can. So yeah, I definitely feels like a family. We carry that energy onto set and we spend most of the year in different places because we all live in different places all over the world. So, you know, when we are together, we make the most of it. Oh, what, what food does Vin Diesel cook? I, I'd love to go for a meal there. <laughs> Everything, everything. They, they're very. There's always really good food at Vin's house. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and what was it like for you getting to work with um, with Justin Lin for this one? Because he's such a major part of this franchise. But obviously, his last one before this was Fast Six. Um, so, yeah. what was it like to kind of get to to work with him on a Fast film? It was it was wonderful, actually. Um, I've I've had I had such a great time with both of the directors that I'd worked with on Seven and Eight, um, but. Justin Lin feels so much, so integral to the kind of like the franchise as an, as a whole. And so the fact that I finally got to work with him, it felt like a rite of passage. You know, I've already felt very welcomed and initiated into the team, but suddenly I felt like this was like the final, the final stamp of 
oh, you're in you're in the fast franchise now because I've now worked <laughs> with, with Justin and he was so great and such a wonderful um, person and director and I thoroughly enjoyed working with him. He's he's fantastic. So yeah, yeah. So, so you were saying. 2019 was when you shot this uh, and I wanted to ask did you manage to take a bit of a break when things kind of all stopped in the last year because you went straight from Thrones into Maze Runner and into Fast Films but then I, I, I you're in Army of Thieves which is coming up so was that yeah. your lockdown kind of work or did you manage to so take a bit of a the a first slide? kind of from like March to September end of September well, I was locked down you know, and then over that summer, things started to open up again. And so that's when from September to the end of the year, we did Army of Thieves. Um, uh, and so that was when I kind of started working again. So I, I managed to have a good solid, well, from March to September, I'm not sure how many months that is off the top of my head, like six months. Yeah, mm-hmm. about six months where I wasn't filming. And, you know, it was it was really it was a good thing in one sense. Like I definitely needed to slow down and have that time to like re like generate and ground myself again. But obviously like it was incredibly stressful. Like everyone knows what this past year and a half has been. Um, You know, there was a lot going on, a lot of angst, a lot of worry, um, especially when it came to like the additional um, kind of, issue of social justice of of anti-black racism and having to go through my own experience of just like a lot of things were coming up and you know it was a tough tough six months a tough tough summer but you know we like I was happy to go back to work but again it was really challenging because shooting in COVID times like we was in Prague and that when they had initially agreed to put the movie in Prague, it had the lowest cases in Europe. And by the time we started shooting, it was like had the highest. Right. And so suddenly it was really serious and we had to be really, really careful. But they took such good care of us. We got tested loads and we had to wear masks all the time. And right until they called action, we had to take them up. You know, it was really like a strange experience to go from being able to look into people's faces you know, there are crew members that I worked with for three months that if they walked past me, I wouldn't recognize them because I never saw them without their masks. And that, that yeah. that's strange. Like we're so about connection and people and it's bizarre, you know, to, to see that for three months straight and a yeah. shame really, but we got it done. Like it was a miracle, but we got it done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my time is very, very nearly up to so a quick one. So what can we expect from Army of Thieves? I'm intrigued by your character name, Gwendolyn, because we saw in uh, Army of the Dead, that is the name of... Uh, oh, uh, you picked up on it. That's picked cool. up on that. Um, well so done. What can, we, what can you tease us about Army of Thieves? <laughs> well, um, it's like you said, it's like a rom-com heist movie, but it's the origin story for... Uh, uh, Ludwig Dieter, who is our, um, our hilarious safe cracker in Army of the Dead. And so it's a, it's a, not really a prequel in the way that you might imagine with like loads of zombies everywhere, but it's um, the, the, the history of his 
his journey and his obsession with safe cracking and with these specific safes and um, uh, this a series of safes that he has to uh, crack. And my character is essentially the head of a group of people who are internationally wanted for their antics. And she kind of like finds him and brings him into her kind of group. And um, yeah, so we see that, so that we see that journey, um, but I'm not going to tell you why she ends up being the name <laughs> of Ooh. his um, lock and safe place. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but that sounds like loads of fun. Um, yeah. yeah, thanks so much for your time today and congrats Thank on Fast you. Nine. It's a blast. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Natalie. Bye. Bye. Okay, so that was Natalie Emmanuel. We will be talking, of course, about Fast Nine in just a few minutes. But first, let's talk about movie news. What is happening in the world of movie news, folks? Anything that has been on your mind, keeping you awake at night, usual stuff. Well, there's going to be a new Transformers movie. How you feel about that very much depends on how you feel about Transformers movie. But they have announced Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Now, this involves all kinds of weird new Transformers that, quite frankly, I don't understand. This 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 story made me feel old. It's, oh, this will feature t- t- Maximals and Terracons. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And Predacons. Well, they will be coming to cinemas, thanks to uh, Paramount Pictures. I was interested to see what they do with this, because I had long got bay fatigue from, from these movies. I reasonably enjoyed the first one. I don't recall enjoying any of the others, up until Bumblebee, which I thought was delightful. Mm. So I'm very excited about that. But uh, as Amon from our parish did point out to me when we were chatting about this, he was saying, you know, where's the Gen 1 Transformers Cybertron movie that we want to see? You know what I mean? Like the Bumblebee prologue. Where's that? Mm. Where's that film? And I'm with him a little bit. Like, as he was saying, like, you know, they, they lean so hard on the human characters. And actually, let's have a Transformer, a purist Transformers movie with just Transformers, set it on Cybertron, no humans, none of that nonsense, keep it pure, keep it fun. Uh, I'd quite like to see that. That said, I'm sure Maximals, Predacons and Terracons will all be very entertaining, uh-huh. whatever they are. I don't really care about Predacons or whatever the hell that is, but the two human leads that they've announced mm. for this so far is Anthony Ramos from In the Heights, yes please, very much yes please, and Dominique Fishback, who was in Project Power and in Judas and the Black Messiah, really great in both of those films. And it was very much like you saw her in Project Power and thought, oh, you're going to go and do some really good things that maybe are a bit better than Project Power was. So I'm excited to see both of those leading a blockbuster like this. And Stephen Capel Jr., who did mm-hmm. Creed 2, is directing yeah. this. So, I mean, mm. that's the thing. The Bay films, for me... Apart from the first one, which I enjoyed when it came out, but I don't know, the people involved in those films didn't really hook me in. But with Bumblebee, you had a great director in Travis Knight. You had a really engaging lead performance in Hayley Steinfeld. And it showed that, hey, if you get some of those things in place, you could do a really good Transformers movie. So hopefully Mm -hmm. with these two people in it, with a good director behind it, and hopefully with, yeah, some slightly clearer robot action, because with Bumblebee, they used the proper Transformers designs, and you could actually tell what was going on, which was a huge plus. So yeah, the Gen 1 thing is a big thing, and I think they're going to be they're going to be going for that again, this time because they're the most recognisable ones. So they talked a little about who's going to be in this film. So Arky is going to be in it, uh, which is a car. Mirage, also a car, oh, but it's going to be a Porsche, because I think Mirage could be multiple cars. I had Mirage. Did you? I did, yeah. It was a Formula One car. I, I had Jazz, which was, remember the Jazz was a Porsche. He was a Porsche. Are, are we talking about the anyway. cars or the Transformer toys? Did you have the t- cars or the toys? No, I definitely didn't. Have, I've never owned a Porsche. Okay. Um, on the villain side, there's Scourge, who's, who's a Terracon apparently, and Nightbird, who's a female Terracon. And from the Maximal side, there is Air Razor 
and Rhinox. And of course, the leader of the Maximals <laughs> is, wait for it, the leader of the Maximals is called Optimus Primal. Wow. So that's nice. Yes, please. So this is set in 1994, I believe, which is before any of the Bay movies. Okay. So in the same way they did with Bumblebee. Yeah. Yeah. So they've gone post-80s. We're now in 90s Transformersville. So, yeah. We're not that bothered about chronology because, frankly, neither was Michael Bay. So it's it's all fine. <laughs> it is interesting that, you know, obviously Bumblebee wasn't a huge hit. Mm. Which is a shame because it was great. Certainly, relatively speaking, compared to the, the Michael Bay movies. So maybe that's why this one's called Transformers. I do wonder if Bumblebee would have done better if it had been called Transformers Bumblebee. Maybe. But we yeah. shall never know. We shall never know. Anyway, speaking of another property that Hollywood returns to time and time again, there is another Snow White on the way, but this time it's one of those Disney live-action reimagining of the animated movies, Jobby, uh, directed by Mark Webb, and they have just found their Snow White, and yeah. it is Rachel Segler who is, of course, Maria in um, West Side Story. I know that was Blondie, but what can you do? I mean, look, she must be hella talented if she's Maria in West Side Story because that is not an easy part to sing. So you have to to assume she's she's really got the goods and they've obviously seen that. Um, they've probably seen a little bit of a you know, preview of her work there. And yeah, this is this is kind of coming on the back of that. So I, I have really exciting times for her. I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I'm happy for her. I'm intrigued of what this is going to be because I don't know if you've revisited Snow White recently, but it's it's a weird film narratively. Like mm. there's not a huge amount of plot in there. Once she gets to the dwarf's house in the woods, it's just like dwarf antics for about 40 minutes before they go, oh God, we should probably do something with the plot. That sounds and exactly like the beginning of The Hobbit. Yeah, there's a lot of washing up in rural settings. So mm. that is very much uh, an unexpected journey. But yeah, I think this is one that they might, I don't know, have to supplement the story in some way or slightly flesh that out compared to the original animated one because there's not a huge amount there. And obviously there are various things to sidestep around in terms of falling in head over heels in love with somebody you've literally laid eyes on once and then him deciding to kiss you when he thinks you've been dead for a week. Um, is, hey, don't kink shame. Do not kink shame. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah, but like, and that's the, exactly the kind of thing that the live action Disney's have been fairly consistently updating. So I think we can rest pretty assured that they will make an effort in that respect, at least. I hope. <laughs> not always successfully. I'm not saying all the live action Disney's have been better, but they have at least addressed that kind of pacing issue and that kind of characterization issue. So, um, so yeah, fingers crossed. And at least, you know, even in the, in the animated version, they did meet before... Uh, she, you know, falls in a coma. Um, so, you know, points for that. It wasn't It wasn't like in some of the fairy tales where he literally just rides up a few years later and doesn't know her from Adam. God, the yeah. bar is so, so low for the men, isn't is it? So the bar low. is so low. Oh, boy. Yeah. It was a different time. They didn't have Tinder back then. You had to meet people in a very different way. Just... I mean, honestly, it, it sounds preferable. <laughs> if I could just, like, go to sleep and wake up and, like, there'd be somebody... Didn't... There was a hot man hovering over you. You know, it, it actually, compared to being on an internet dating site, that sounds pretty dreamy, to be honest. How do they not have this dating app for Disney princesses and not just call it Cinder? I mean, uh, do I have to do everything myself? Cute. Apparently so. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You and an army of mice, Chris. <laughs> Outrageous. <laughs> And we should th say that um, Zegler is also in Shazam at the moment, which is filming at the moment. So, you know, she's she's gone kind of from zero to, to big, big movies all at once. So, yes. you know, the, the town is obviously pretty excited about her. Maybe she could be Dalton's daughter 
in Roadhouse. She's a bit young, but, you know... You know, we can futz it. We can, yeah, absolutely. It could be a prequel. It could be set in 1994. When she would be six or something? Well, she's Dalton's other daughter oh, from okay, before right. the before from times. before the before times. Yes. Okay, okay so... She wants to show a bit more range. So, yes, Rachel Segler is Son of Dalton because the name is non-negotiable in Roadhouse 2. Son of Dalton. No no space in those two words. Son of. S-O-N-O-F. Son of Dalton. Uh, anything else? Because that's literally two things we talked about so far. It's got to be more. <laughs> yeah, the bunch thing, a bunch more things. Uh, Lynn Ramsey is uh, making a new film, Polaris. Uh, we don't know anything about it beyond that. Um, <laughs> You're a useless asshole, Pogo man. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say it is a sci-fi film purely on the basis of the word Polaris, which is completely unfounded and uh, unwarranted. However, mm. she has apparently lined up Joaquin Phoenix and Rooney Mara yes. um, to star in it. Obviously, she has previous form with Joaquin from his best film where he transforms his body and kills people. You were never really mm-hmm. here. And from that casting, we can surmise, of course, that mm. it's going to be a laugh a minute knockabout comedy. You know what? They have range. It could be. It probably won't be. Just imagine the fizzy improv. I mean, they could fizzily improv, you know. I'm they're sure, a couple sure in real could. life. I'm sure they're fizzy. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they're delightful people. But yeah, yeah, very excited about that. Any new Lynn Ramsey movie is good by us. Mm-hmm. Well done, them. Uh, we also got some very exciting trailers this week, uh, particularly for my money, The Harder They Fall. Uh, one of those trailers with just an astonishing lineup of good-looking people assembled. It opens with Regina King and Lakeith Stanfield breaking Idris Elba out of prison and only gets handsomer from there. So, uh, you know, I haven't even mentioned Zazie Beetz and uh, Jonathan Majors. So I'm, yeah, pretty excited about that. Delroy Lindo. I mean, come on. It's going to be pretty good. It's a, it's a Western. It's a crazy cast. Yeah. And it, it looks kind of, I, I know it's an easy pull to make, but it does look kind of Tarantino-y. It looks like snappy and stylish. The, the music they use in the trailer has a very like contemporary feel to it. Lots of blood splatters everywhere. People getting shot in the head and blood flying everywhere. Mm. And this guy, James Samuel, the director, uh, it's his debut feature, but he did a short film uh, for Jay-Z a few years ago. In fact, this film is produced by Jay-Z. And yeah, he did like a 10 minute short for him that has like Ron Perlman and Susan Sarandon and people in. It's on YouTube. You can watch it. And he evidently knows kind of how to make things look and feel cinematic. So I'm really excited to kind of see what he brings to that film. It looks, it's a great trailer. It's a very grabby trailer. Disney have been at it again with their rides. Obviously, we've seen uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and Jungle Cruise. But now Tower of Terror is being adapted to a movie with Scarlett Johansson in it. So presumably she will be strapped in a chair and just go up and down for 90 minutes. That's just my understanding <laughs> of how the ride works. But so this is, the, this is the Twilight Zone ride that's at Disney Florida, which has been retconned or redone, as I understand it, in Disney LA to the Guardians of the Galaxy ride, isn't it? Do we know this? Yeah, Mission yep. Breakout is what That's it is right. Now. So Mission Breakout has now replaced Tower of Terror in LA, though it's still the original Twilight Zone one still exists in, uh, ah. in Florida. So they're uh, presumably while it still is there and before it becomes another Guardians ride, they're going to turn it into a film. So hmm. hooray for Twilight Zone fans. Do you know what this is crying out for, though? Because that is the setup of David S. Pumpkins, the best SNL sketch <laughs> of the last 10 years. Where is the David S. Pumpkins movie? Oh Come my God, on. that would be amazing. Any questions? <laughs> I suspect his moment so has passed. Many. <laughs> I think the 15 minutes is elapsed. Uh, for David S. Pumpkins. Remember when they did that character again, they re- revisited it and it just wasn't 
the same. They did an animated thing, didn't they? And they it did. wasn't uh, Yeah, it just wasn't as good. I've never been on the Tower of Terror ride. It's at Disneyland Paris as well. Is it good? Yeah, it's really good fun. Mm. It's good. It is a good ride, actually. Can, yeah. Given yeah. that it literally just goes up and down, mm. it's that's surprisingly good. But when the, when the doors open at the top and you're like, yeah. wow, yeah. I can see my but house from here. It feels really dated, though, because obviously the lead up to it is all very old and mm. it's old school Twilight Zone stuff. Whereas the Guardians one has a really fun story with Rocket and stuff. It's actually, and it opens on the Guardians. It's like it's, it's great. The Guardians one, I think I enjoyed a lot more. Oh, good. I haven't been, James. So that's, that's really that's really nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. No, it must be nice for you to get to go to Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, well done, James. Yeah. Hey, what um, is the deal with Jerry Seinfeld making a movie for Netflix? Jerry Seinfeld is making a another movie. Hmm. Years after B-Movie, unbowed, undaunted by that experience. Uh, I'm not sure audiences will feel the same, but Jerry Seinfeld has decided to make another movie. And it's going to be called Unfrosted. And it's inspired by one of his jokes about how Pop-Tarts were invented. Now, I dimly (laughs) recall that. I saw Jerry Seinfeld live a couple of years ago at the Hammersmith Apollo. Uh, It may not have been as exciting as the Guardians of the Galaxy ride at Disneyland, but it was still pretty much one to tick off the old bucket list. And I do remember going, that's a good joke. I really hope he doesn't turn it into a movie, though. Uh, But that's what happened. So he is going to direct and star in it. We shall see what happens. Okay, and it's it's literally just a joke about Pop Tarts. Like I don't remember the joke. He's not one of those. He's not a comedian who does like one liners. No, I I understand. Yeah, but observation. So I I would never, never profess to be able to do it. To I can't remember it. Okay, it's basically my long winded way of saying I can't remember what the joke was, but it, it was funny. So cool. fingers crossed, he's going to do this for Netflix. Netflix. Okay. We've also signed a big old deal with Steven Spielberg uh, and Amblin Entertainment to make a whole bunch of movies and show a whole bunch of Amblin movies on Netflix. And Netflix, of course, you know, we are getting to this point now where they are going to have a content problem because all the other studios seem to be slowly but surely making their own beds to lie in, using their own product. Uh, Amazon mm-hmm. have just bought MGM. I'm honestly surprised, thinking about it, that Netflix weren't in the conversation for that because that would have given them a lot of movies that they could show. But clearly they've decided to go the other way, which is to throw as much money as they possibly can to make their content as enticing as it possibly can be. Because mm-hmm. the streaming wars are coming, folks, and none of us are going to survive. It does feel that way sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think the MGM deal is interesting because they have an incredibly deep back catalogue, but maybe not quite so many ongoing properties that Netflix would be able to... To monetize, and I think Netflix's focus recently has very much been on creating their own, for want of a better phrase, IP, uh, intellectual property. And so, you know, they don't, I mean, none of the streaming services, but particularly Netflix, could not give a shit about movies made before 1989. So while MGM would help with that, that that's clearly not something they see as being a problem. So, mm. yeah. With the Amblin thing, though, when you think about Netflix, their biggest hit far and away is Stranger Things yeah. and that has a very Amblin-y vibe um, I mean obviously that's them making up their own stuff but I wonder if it works for them in trying to I mean they can't string along Stranger Things forever uh, and hope, Stranger yeah. Things 4 is on the way but yeah maybe that's a way of kind of aligning and bringing in other bits of properties that have a similar feeling if that's what they're kind of audiences are wanting more of uh, actually ben no stranger things was netflix's biggest show but it has long since been surpassed i think the <gasps> witcher Ooh, has it? is their number one i think it's 76 million although you have to take that with a certain pinch of salt because netflix count of view as someone who has watched two and a half minutes 
of the episode and given that they auto play and 75 million of those views were you weren't they James <laughs> of The Witcher <laughs> uh, but also Lupin is massively popular on there and uh, Money Heist uh, La Casa de Papel as, as we often talk about on the Pilot TV podcast oh god you gave him the opening um, but yeah Stranger Things is still is still up there I think 64 million Stranger Things so I think it's like their fourth or fifth so I'm not sure where um where Bridgerton falls. I thought Bridgerton was actually pretty high as well. I don't know what that figure is off the top of my head. Anyway, suffice it to say, Stranger Things still popular, but Witcher is better. Wow. <laughs> and oh, Netflix shit. is tossing a coin to you as we speak. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's right. That is right. Uh, and all those shows are about to be eclipsed by Sexy Beasts, their new dating show. Have oh you seen this? God. Which is, I'm pretty oh sure, that the, the signal of the end of days where it's a dating show, but people are <laughs> made up under prosthetics. So the idea is that you will fall in love with the person and not their looks. But here's the twist, folks. All the people look like models. Yes. So yeah, it really doesn't matter. I mean, this is my absolute like least favorite thing because they did this with, what was it, Blind Dating or whatever it was called as well. Love, love is, is blind. blind. Love is Blind. Uh if you're all young, hot, and hard-bodied, who cares? They can't see their face. Yeah, but they know that there's a base level of, like, tenness that they're all going to hit. So <laughs> I just, I, I I, am kind of disgusted by it. I see why they're doing it, because they don't want to make something that would appear, you know, fatphobic or prejudiced or anything else. But, like, people are. And that's the reality of dating. Dating is a shit show, and they're putting on these dreamy hot people dating shows you know uh, which is not the reality out there man it's not true give regular oh. folk a chance good lord <laughs> yeah we seem to have triggered helen's ptsd from her time I'm in the just, trenches like it's just not fair man it's all these people sitting around with their significant romantic other going oh look isn't dating fun and sexy no <laughs> But it's okay, I'm fine. If you do want to match up with Helen, she is available on Cinder. <laughs> so don't forget, you must dress up as either a Disney prince or a princess, and then you can swipe left or right. Uh, I don't know which is which. I mean, I know which is which. I'm a grown man. I know I know left from right. Uh, although on the screen here, that's reverse. Currently, my left is my right, and my right is my left. Anyway, it's a whole complicated issue. Let's just talk very quickly about the fact that Harrison Ford has knacked his shoulder, and he is he currently has. not filming mm. as Indiana Jones on Indiana Jones and the whatever the hell they're going to call it. Uh, but they're going to film around him, or just the, sh the side of him is not injured. <laughs> so if he's just if most of the movie he's just in profile wincing then you'll know what happened but the man is 173 years old he really shouldn't be doing stuff this strenuous i don't know he drank from the holy grail so he should be pretty good for a while <laughs> he yet. did he chose wisely but he hasn't learned has he? he went back to the millennium falcon and got stuck in a door mm. and now he's gone back to indiana jones and he's thrown his shoulder out like what's gonna happen next <laughs> hopefully nothing hopefully he will be fine that that's what's gonna happen next jeez yeah. So, you know, Jim Mangold is continuing to shoot. Uh, so shooting hasn't been delayed in any way, shape or form. And when Harrison is better, he will be back cracking the whip and doing whatever it is that he's doing as Indiana Jones. Very excited about that one, I have to say. And then finally this week, we lost the great actor Ned Beatty recently mm -hmm. at the age of 83. One of the great character actors of the 70s and 80s. You know, he got a start in Deliverance. I mean, I mean, that's yeah. not a bad place to start. So did the kid playing the dueling banjos, by the way. But uh, but then Beatty went on to do something with his movie career. Uh, he was in the likes of Robert Altman's Nashville, very briefly in All the President's Men. He was electric in Network. 
mm. which was actually his scene, his big scene, his big speech was shared so often on Twitter when he died and was chosen recently for Empire's classic scene section at the back of the magazine by none other than George Clooney. Mm. Uh, he was nominated for an Oscar for that, but for Best Supporting Actor. He was, of course, Otis in Superman and Superman 2, mainly Superman, in fairness. Uh, and he was so great, you know. Hey, Mr. Luthor. Okay, Mr. Luthor. You know, see, he even has his own little theme tune. <laughs> oh, God, I love Otis so much. Uh, he was just a tremendous, tremendous actor. He could do all kinds of things. He was really, mm. really great at comedy. He was fantastic at drama. He could play trustworthy. He could play sleazy. He could play... Angry, but he was just every time you saw him, you just knew what you were going to get with Ned Beatty. Hear my song, that's another great film. He was in the 1990 Captain America, yeah, which is yeah. now available. I stumbled upon oh, it, it. Is. It's, on, uh, it's on iTunes. The night he died, I went looking for Ned Beatty movies on the streaming services on the big old streaming giants, and I was f- sorely disappointed, quite frankly. But on iTunes, there he is. So the original Captain America, the one that stars J.D. Salinger's son, Matt, as Steve Rogers, and which is apparently just horrendously terrible, is available on on iTunes. So you can actually go and buy it now if you wanted to do that. Maybe one day uh, we should all watch that together and just support each other through it. And just do a spoiler special based on that and uh, and just people crying for 90 minutes. Uh, but <laughs> Ned Beatty was, he was just tremendous. He hadn't worked mm. since 2013. He hadn't made a movie since 2013. He was 83 when he passed uh, recently. So a big, big loss indeed. The great Ned Beatty. Absolutely. Time now to delve deep into the movies that are going to be coming your way in the multiplexes or the art house cinemas or just on your sofa this weekend. There's only one place to start. And that is, of course with Fast 9. Yes. Is that what it's called, Ben? Is that what it's called this week? I'm really confused about what this movie's called. In, so in the UK, it is called Fast and Furious 9, as all of the films since, well, I think Tokyo Drift have just been called Fast and Furious 4, Fast and Furious 5. We haven't followed the insane American naming conventions here. When we had and, we had just Fast and Furious, didn't we, for 4? Yes, and then it was Fast and Furious 5, colon Rio Heist over here. That's uh, right. And then from then on... Which we just ignored. Yeah. yeah. Six, seven, eight, and now nine have all just been Fast and Furious. Oh, well, we had the fate of the Furious, didn't we? No, that was, no, that no, was the a US title. Uh, the US title for this one is F9 The Fast Saga. <laughs> Um, yeah, okay. I mean, why? <laughs> because they need no something sense. that they they need to change it up each time. If they don't change it up, then it's it's disappointing. It needs to be completely inconsistent. I think I know why. It's because F nine on the keyboard is fast forward on my Mac, and this movie plays <gasps> like it's a perpetual fast I mean, forward. That sounds right. Well, honestly, oh. if if the movie doesn't obey the laws of physics, why would the movie titling system make any sense either? Yes. It doesn't. You know, Absolutely. of course, of course. Which is an actual line of dialogue, by the way, in Fast 9. We should point it out. There is at one point, a character in this movie, in this saga, says, this saga. if we obey the laws of physics, we'll be okay. And then the studio audience laughed and we got on with the movie. It's, but Ben, uh, please, yeah. as best as you can, sum up Fast 9. Oh my God, what a momentous task. Okay, so very vague plot-wise... More, more or less the whole gang is back. You have no Hobbs and Shaw in this one. There is no Staith, there is no Rock. But the rest of the Fast gang is back. They receive an emergency transmission from a familiar face and have to track down some kind of crazy sci-fi tech weapon thing. And also seeking said sci-fi tech weapon thing is <gasps> Dom's brother, Jacob. <gasps> 
played by John Cena. He is the new baddie in this one. Dom's um, brother, Ben, but surely they would have mentioned a brother in previous iterations of this no, franchise. No, there's, there are extensive flashbacks explaining why they haven't, Chris. It's fine. <laughs> yes, they. Uh, this is a mysterious secret evil brother in true Fast and Furious fashion, because that is the sort of thing that happens in this crazy soap opera. And do you know what? It's, this is a lot of fun. It's big and stupid and crazy. And for the most part, it knows it. I think if you, people know the Fast and Furious tone by now, and it's very consistent, I'd say, especially with Hobbs and Shaw and Fast and Furious 8 when they have lent into that more. Although I will say that there was always a balance, right, with the recent Fast films where it was like always Vin Diesel taking it incredibly seriously the Rock having loads of fun with it and the Stath also having loads of fun with it. And seeing as those guys went and had all the fun in Hobbs and Shaw, this film is big and silly and fun, but also you have Vin Diesel taking it very seriously at the centre of it. Thankfully, I think John Cena is a lot of fun in this and is having fun with it uh, to kind of balance that out. And you've got obviously uh, Tyrese Gibson is back as Roman, Ludacris is back as Tej, uh, all of the your, your favourite faces. And... I mean, the action in this one is so stupidly big. It begins with a crazy chase sequence across a minefield that would, in any other film, be your kind of climactic action sequences. That is just where this one begins. And there is plenty of extra crazy stuff along the way. It is a bit all over the place, plot-wise. I think kind of like Fast 8, which I still enjoyed a lot, it, it's kind of hopping from thing to thing and just tying characters together in whatever way will keep the plot barreling forwards. But do you know what? It's it's just it's just a good time. It's just a fun, good time. And obviously, uh, we won't say how because they haven't said it in the trailers. But Han is back. It's great to see him back. Justin Lin. It's fun to see him back behind the camera. I don't think it's up there with Fast Five or Fast Six for me um, in terms of the ones that he's directed. But it's it's Fast and Furious Nine. There's a magnet plane. I, I can uh, confirm that during the screening, Helen and I turned to each other and said, magnet, magnet plane, plane, when the magnet plane came up. And also, Helen spent half an hour after the screening outside just repeating to herself, if we obey the laws of physics, we'll be okay. Mm. It's, uh, yeah, what did you guys make of this one? Look, if we obey the laws of physics, we'll be fine. I, I just, it just struck me as hilarious because this this franchise hasn't obeyed the laws of physics maybe ever, and certainly not since the first three or so. Or we've established the first one. Or the first one. Well, exactly. Um, I think that the yeah, the action in this was ludicrous and ludicrous and uh, very, very enjoyable. I, I do feel like we, the, the balance, as Ben said, has tilted a little bit too, too far towards Vin Diesel seriousness and earnestness and almost homily at times and away from the kind of craziness so some of that was a little bit hard to take. And there are such extensive flashbacks to young Dom and young Jacob that you're sitting there going, I don't understand. Are they trying to set up a spin-off prequel series? Like, why are we still seeing these characters after minutes and minutes and minutes? But that aside, I just had a blast. So, you know, I, I just wanted them to, you know, be doing the silly things and, and you know, forget a little bit more about some of the, the heavy lifting uh, but, you yeah. know, th these characters are, are fun when they're allowed to just be fun, you know? And uh, I, I can say uh, during the opening crazy action sequence, I was laughing so much that my glasses fogged up because of my mask. That is how much fun I was having. I, I, I agree with you I, to an extent, although the, the opening action scene also contains a moment that began to lose me. 
but I was having tremendous fun. Like I, I saw this just after you guys. Uh, Helen has seen this twice already, by the way. We are getting our spoiler special prep in and then some. And I think maybe a second viewing might help me connect with it because I have to say I was a little disappointed with this one. I think it's, for me it's the most disappointing fast movie since probably Tokyo Drift or, or Too Fast, Too Furious. And it's it, it's the first one for me in a while. You're talking about someone, uh, Ben, I, I may not hold this franchise in the same in the same esteem that you do, but I also think that before Portal's Fast Five was pretty much the pinnacle of human achievement in art. And <laughs> I mean, that's just yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've loved just science. Lots of what the franchise has done since. I think Fast Six is great fun. Fast Seven is great fun. There's great stuff in Fast Eight. There's you know the Statham you know, Statham action scene in the plane with the baby, which is inventive and fun. And I say more inventive and more fun than anything in this movie, which is for the first time in the in a long while with the franchise. It's the point for me where it began to collapse under its own weight and it began to become just a little bit too unwieldy and you could feel the action scenes you could feel them straining to top themselves whereas in a weird way the action from fast the escalation from fast five to six to seven to eight yes it was madcap and stupid and they, they it did feel a little bit like well what could we do next so let's have a nuclear submarine okay that's 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 where we're going to go but it still felt like they were having fun and being inventive. And this one felt a little bit like, oh, well, what can we do? What can we do? And I hope, I hope that they're good because obviously they're going to continue into Fast 10 and Fast 11, the, the last two movies. I hope that they rediscover a little bit of the organic fun of the franchise and maybe shine the spotlight on some of the other characters who are fun to spend time with. I'm not so sure how much fun Dom Toretto is to spend time with. Uh, which is a bit of a problem because this is very much the Dom Toretto and in very, very small font, the rest of the gang show. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on this, actually. Like, I, I felt that, that Hobbs and Shaw's absence was felt quite severely in this. Uh, I think Tyrese, Ludacris and uh, Natalie Emmanuel do an awful lot of the comedic heavy lifting here because they have to because Vin Diesel seems to think he's doing Shakespeare but I enjoy these films and they are stupid fun and as I was going into this I thought look you've got to, all your critical faculties have to kind of be set aside you have to go with this because the dialogue is terrible the plot is absolutely nonsensical it's just nonsense but you roll with it and you have a lot of fun but for the first time I think for this one as you're saying, I think the action felt, while there's definitely spectacle there, the action just felt a little, lazy's a harsh word, but it felt a little uninspired, I think. Like, yes, a magnet plane is a great idea, but there was nothing in here that really had as much heart as I kind of wanted. And I felt, you know, Cena, I loved Cena, and I think he's great. And I, and I think he strikes that perfect note. In the same way that The Rock clearly understood the joke of having the time of his life, you think Cena is clearly having an equally good time doing this. And I really liked his character, and I loved the retconning, and I thought, you know, going back to the past and bringing back his brother, all that stuff is brilliantly absurd, and I was 100% here for it. Less so, I think, some of the rest of it. And I think, you know, it's all very well to eject physics and, you know, plotting. But I think you've got to try a little bit. And I'm not sure this film does. So while I do think you enjoy this film, I think you also have to cut it an awful lot of slack. And you maybe have to cut it more than you really want to. Mm. So... This definitely isn't top tier fast for me. I still maintain the first one is the best. And uh, this one is nowhere near as good as that. And this is a three-star film. And I think that's probably about right. 
Okay, so that's what we gave it. That's what we gave F9, the Fast Saga, if you listen to this in the States, or Fast and Furious 9, if you're listening to this in the UK, and I do not have time to get into what it's called in the rest of the world, but three stars then for the ninth slash tenth film in the Fast and Furious Saga. Next up, we have Supernova, which is another Big science fiction movie starring uh, Colin wait. Firth and Stanley Tucci. Oh, wait. Sorry. Oh, no, nope. I got my notes wrong. I got my notes wrong. <laughs> uh, Helen, this is a, a gentle, heartwarming drama starring two of our best actors. And yes, we are claiming Stanley Tucci because he lives in London. Yeah, yeah. We're, this we're is where he makes him. his cocktails. Therefore, this is where he, you know, he belongs. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, these do share a road movie theme, I suppose, in that this is technically a road trip. Uh, is as well. It's written and directed by Harry McQueen. It's his second film after the sort of melancholy hinterland um, a few years ago, and uh, this is a really, really impressive uh, step up for him. Um, so Colin Firth and Sally Tucci play respectively Sam and Tusker. They are a couple. They've been together for years, but Tusker, who is a writer, is now facing early onset dementia, and they are going on a road trip to just visit family and friends in the Lake District. That is also a little bit of almost a farewell tour, a little bit. And they're both kind of coming to terms with what's happening and coming to terms with what this means for both of them and uh, maybe in slight denial about what it means for both of them. And it's just, it's really just focused in on that relationship, on those feelings, on that, uh, the end of the affair, if you will, you know, um, in gorgeous locations, gorgeous people, of course, but but really the focus is is kind of, absolutely front and center on this relationship and, and what it means you know when the person that you love starts to kind of fade away from you so uh yeah it's really moving at times it's also very funny at times because uh, Firth and Tucci I don't think have worked together before but they've been friends for years and they've wanted to work together for years and they have that kind of camaraderie that they've kind of then built this romantic relationship uh, on screen upon and so you know, it it feels like it's got a lot of weight to it. You you kind of feel the emotions in it and you feel their sort of easy banter and their kind of just obviously immense charm kind of coming through in these characters. And that works, that works really, really well. So, mm. I mean, yeah, you, you don't want to know much more about the plot and I'm not going to tell you anything more, but it's, mm. it's just beautifully done. It's really, really nicely put together. Yeah, wonderfully acted, isn't it? Mm. I mean, this, because obviously it's coming out now, but I can't, can't figure out whether this was eligible for BAFTA earlier on in the year. No, because they go on release date. So it did screen at the London Film Festival last October or so, but it, right. it wouldn't have been eligible for last year's award season. And I, I honestly think that's that's one of the reasons that they maybe held it this long, because I would hope it would get some attention. I think it was eligible for the US awards and kind of lost. I didn't get, maybe got overshadowed there, but, you know, it could be in line for a BAFTA or a BIFA or something next year, maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is the, this is a, I, I found it, a, a tough watch mm. at times because it is it's, it's quite heartrending but the performances my god they're yeah. absolutely fantastic absolutely I mean even by the standards of these two yeah yeah I mean Firth Firth's character has a he's trying to hold things together a little bit more Tucci yeah there's there's some really really emotional scenes between the two of them mm. it, it looks beautiful as well yeah really really lovely fantastic stuff uh, we loved it we gave it four stars four stars in for Supernova. And last but not least this week, we have Kevin Hart in Fatherhood, which is on Netflix right now, right as we speak. Jimbo, here's another tough watch. 
Yeah, so this is this is directed by Paul White and it's based on a memoir by Matt Lagellin who lost his wife uh, literally 17 hours, I think it was 27 hours, like literally the day after his daughter is born, he, he lost his wife in childbirth. Uh, and so the, he wrote a memoir about it. He wrote a blog which turned into a memoir which got a lot of attention at the time. But anyway, this has been adapted now into a film directed by Paul White, as I've said. It nearly had Channum actually in the lead, but instead we get Kevin Hart as Lagellin uh, and we begin the film with the birth of his daughter and then the sudden death of his wife, Liz, which leads him to kind of explore the trials of parenthood alone. He's aided by his mother-in-law, who's played in this by Alfred Woodard, and she doesn't think he can raise a houseplant, let alone a child, but he decides he's going to prove her and everyone else wrong. Uh, and so he sets out to raise Maddie alone and meets uh, someone named Swan, uh, played by Dewanda Wise, along the way. This film has a lot of heart uh, without putting to put too much of a terrible pun on it, but it kind of does. Kevin Hart's a bit of a Marmite character, isn't he? You either like his shtick or you don't. I've actually got a lot of time for him, but I really liked him in this because it's a very dialed down kind of understated take on his usual kind of everyman shtick that he does. He walks the emotional line very, very well. There's a lot of pathos. There's an awful lot of heartbreak in this, as you might gather from the subject matter. But you you get that, that he's hanging on by a thread all the time. Yes, he's making jokes. Yes, he's being funny. But the comedy is quite understated. It's quite, you know, it takes a second seat to the tragedy in this. And I think he really pulls that across. You totally believe the relationship he has with his daughter, who's brilliantly played in this by Melody Heard. And he's always on the edge of having a breakdown. Like he's just like the grief is just bubbling below the surface all the time. And there are moments when it kind of overwhelms him. And it really does. Like a couple of times I was welling up in this film. I really was. I thought it was lovely. Like the story is very straightforward. And let's be perfectly honest, you can see exactly where this is going to go almost beat for beat the moment it starts. So no surprises here whatsoever. But there's something quite reassuring about that. You know, I think he handles it really well. As I say, I think the comedy works on that kind of slightly lower simmer. And I think the relationships work well as well. I'm a big fan of, I don't know if you guys saw Jack and Sarah in the 90s, mm. uh, but that's obviously a similar present. That's Richard E. Grant in it. And that has the added benefit of, uh, of involving Ian McKellen living in a skip, which this doesn't have. Um, but it, it ticks the same boxes. This isn't on Jack and Sarah's level for me, but I thought this was a lovely, surprisingly lovely little film, sort of slight but sweet, if you mm. will. Uh, and a nice side to Kevin Hart. So yeah, I, I enjoyed this one a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, we don't actually have an official Empire review for this one, but uh, I, I think I would give this one three stars. I would too, yeah. I think it's, um, yeah, it doesn't do anything new and, you know, it's not it's not particularly innovative in the way that it tells the story or anything else, but it is, it, as you say, it's just nicely calibrated performances, great child performance, really, really she's yeah. fantastic, and just, likeable and, and slightly heartwarming without being overly schmaltzy. I think they, they walk the tone really, really nicely. Yeah, I, I thought Kevin Hart was really good in this. It was nice to see him playing a different sort of role than he normally does while still getting moments here and there to show his comic chops, which are, I think especially in things like the Jumanji films really come mm. across. Mm. Um, I think I found, I, I was sort of pleased on the one hand that this film didn't completely emotionally destroy me but at the same time I found it a little bit too easy it introduces this character in this situation that is just so unbelievably horrifying and hard and you can't even imagine how you would deal with that and I think it, it's a safe family friendly film effectively which is totally fine but for me it skipped over some of the really difficult stuff a bit too easily there were points where I thought oh we've moved past this point that would surely be something that is impossibly difficult from moment to moment for this guy to get through, and we kind of have just zipped past it. 
So I think for me, it didn't necessarily cut deep enough. I, I think it's hard because the tone of it, the sort of, it's a feel good toned film about a situation that would make you feel incredibly bad and is shooting for a similar tone to something like Instant Family, which I think is really charming and really sweet, but it's dealing with a much, much tougher and kind of difficult situation than uh, Instant Family is. So it didn't always mesh for me, but I think it's still a kind of sweet and endearing watch. And I thought Kevin Hart was genuinely really good. So I'd probably land three on this as well. Yeah, totally agree with all that. Yeah, my my wife particularly really loved it, um, Mm. I think. It got her right in the feels. So this is a this is a big old week for movies that get you right in the feels, and then Fast Nine, which gets you right in the somewhere, <laughs> right in the somewhere. In else's. the physics, in the physics, yeah. Yes, it gets uh, Albert Einstein and Brian Cox right in the feels because they're going, no, no, stop doing that to the thing I love. That's not physics. how it works. No. <laughs> anyway. And there's one more film as well, isn't there, Helen? Real quick. There's yeah, a, uh, I, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Sweat, which is, uh, I think, Swedish or Polish co-production, uh, directed and written by Magnus von Horn. And it's about a fitness influencer, uh, trainer, instructor person called Sylvia, played by Magdalena Koleshnik, who uh, it's basically a few days in her life. She is on the verge of great things in her career. You know, she's getting all the fabulous free stuff to promote. You know, her life looks great from the outside, but, you know, she's still dealing with kind of human problems. And, and it's about, I guess, the the difference between this perfect image and the the sort of reality of it. The fact that even when she speaks honestly and openly about that disconnect, it's seen as yet another marketing ploy and, and is she allowed to do it? And is is it okay for her to do that? And people kind of object to her almost being honest with her fans as well. I think it's a really interesting film because it looks at this disconnect we all have between our sort of the, the image we'd like to project, whether we're on social media or not, it, it's a human concern, but the image we'd like people to have of us and the reality of how we feel. But it doesn't do the very easy, lazy thing of just going social media bad, you know, feeling good. It, it's more about... It's more complicated than that. It is more complicated than that, I think, for everybody. And I thought that was a really nicely played thing. And and the fact that she seems like a genuinely decent person, as well as one who tries to promote decency in her public appearance, she she also does seem to have genuinely good instincts. So it's a it's a really nicely played, nicely balanced look, I think, at the modern world. So yeah. Really, really liked sweat. If you get a chance, if it's on near you, I would recommend having a look. Helen going to make you sweat. Just like The Rock in the Fast movies where he's sprayed down with fake sweat before each each take. True story, folks. Fast Five, I think he's especially sweaty. It's absolutely yeah. just pinging all over his head I think uh, in, in Fast Five. Again, we'll talk about this in the Fast Nine Sporter special, but uh, for me, Luke Hobbs, goatee beard, sweating that is the uber look hobbs and any other look hobbs is not look hobbs it's like john mcclain without hair it just doesn't work just doesn't work i don't make the rules folks i don't make the rules anyway on that note that is it for this week's empire podcast join us next week for more film related fun where we'll be joined by i cannot believe i'm saying these words because it's nearly a year since we did the interview Freaky is finally coming out in UK <gasps> cinemas and what? we will be joined by Vince Fawn and Catherine Newton. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Uh, the questions were, what are you doing next week? What are you doing right now? Can you tell me 
What have you got planned for Christmas? They were all really contemporary sounding questions. I really, really regret that. Anyway, we will also be joined by William Shatner. <gasps> Le Chat himself. He didn't shit himself on the podcast. I'm of saying course. the Chat himself is on the podcast, although he's 90. It's entirely possible. But anyway, William Shatner is on the podcast talking about his new movie, Senior Moment. Extraordinary stuff. Extraordinary stuff. You can't say fairer than that. But anyway, until then, until that auspicious occasion, until we meet again, it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning squadcast names, Magnet Ben. Never guess who it is. It's Ben Travis. Magnet Plane! Magnet Plane! It's goodbye from Mr. Somebody, James Dyer. Uh, fuck your magnet plane. I want a safe hanging out the back of a car or nothing at all. Thanks very much. <laughs> Doesn't sound very safe to me. It is goodbye from Peligro Minas, Helen O'Hara. What does Peligro Minas mean? It means yeah. danger minds. Bye, toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me, Finn Finn situation. I was struggling with the name this week, folks. I really was. But anyway, there we are. Finn Finn situation. I am off to take a leaf out of the England football team's book and spring a surprise Ed Sheeran concert on my fellow podcast mates. No need to thank me, guys. Although you will excuse me if I just let myself out and let you enjoy the music of Ed on your own. And yeah, don't worry if you hear a lock from outside. It's totally fine. Anyway, please do take it away, Mr. Ed Sheeran, in one, two, a one, two, three, four. No!